Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories. Hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stubsky, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 36, we're stoked to have 10-time Gravity Formula 1 and 20-time Street Luge world champ and land speed racing hero, Roger Hickey. <laughs> well, that's never going to go Jeez away. Guard. <laughs> that's his new nickname, Cheese Guard. Cheese <laughs> <laughs> It's better than Cheese Garden. That's true. Ah. It's like, hey, ladies, check out my Cheese Garden. I like that. <laughs> Pass. Mm. Well, fun and games, so he breaks out the Cheese Garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell, you know, that's a great lead, and we're running with that, man. Yeah. <laughs> hell, yeah. Oh, Tonight here hey. on uh, the Round 6 Podcast. Uh, well, hell, welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. Uh, I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And Roger. Nice, yeah, with us is Roger Hickey. If you don't know who he is, then sit back, because you're about to find out. We'll just jump right into it. You've broken how many bones, man? Uh, 61 bones and enough stitches to make a quilt. (laughs) We could end the podcast right there. Sixty, you're the you're the king, I think, of our uh, of our bone breaking uh, contest. Yeah, it's not something I'd be proud of, but it just happened. So we're going to refer to this one. This is going to be called, what is this, episode, what are we, 36? Episode 36, Evil Knievel Light. <laughs> That's it. Or 2.0. There you go. Yeah. Knievel Sticks 2.0. and stones will break your bones. And curbs and guardrails. <laughs> <laughs> but on, on a serious note, though, man, with us tonight, man, a, a, a serious pleasure to have you, man. You're a... Uh, for our listeners who don't know, you are everything. You are like the American dream. You're 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 an entrepreneur. Uh, hell, you, you came out of retirement what this past week to break a, <laughs> a record in street luge about a year ago. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. I was fifty-eight and a half. And so oh, then the, the, there's no story in this. Then we'll just move on. No, I actually retired for seventeen years, and then I got tired of the internet. You know. Everybody talking crap about when you're, uh, oh, those old guys, you know, they only went 30 miles an hour. They didn't do anything fast. And so, of course, I didn't tell my wife about it till I was already halfway through the build. And I called them and said, uh, can I race the world championships? And they said, you have to be in the points. And I go, well, that's it. And they go, no, yeah, or you have to be an old world champion. So I told them <laughs> that I was, and they didn't even know who I was, which is a crack up because I won 20 of them. So that just shows a key point of history. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> so uh, so I said, well, go do your homework and let me know. So then they called me back and they said, okay, yeah, you can race. And so I took my 1989 board out of retirement, we rebuilt it, went to Quebec, Canada, and was the first guy to go 100 miles an hour. Holy oh crap. Laying on a skateboard. <laughs> Dude. I'm, I'm laughing because it's so funny. The old guy shows. We got all these punk kids out there. The old guy going, all right, let's dance. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I get out of the van when I get there, and uh, the first thing some guy says is, hey, Hickey, all your old shit ain't going to fly here. <laughs> can I cuss Can I cuss on this show? I forgot. That was just Absolutely. fine. 
Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, so I looked at my brother and I'm like, Jesus, I, I literally have been gone for 17 years. I've only been here for 30 seconds and it's already starting. <laughs> it was crazy. So, well, let, let's, let's back this up then. How the heck do you get into a sport where you decide you're going to land a skateboard and do, <laughs> I can't say with a straight face because it's so just ludicrous, 100 miles an hour? Well, you start by standing on one and going 70, and then, and then you decide, <laughs> don't get down. <laughs> but uh, I used to race water skis when I was a kid, and then a friend of mine said, oh, you should try racing skateboards. They're going to have this thing at Signal Hill in Long Beach. And that was in 1977. I was the youngest one there. Um, I hadn't turned 19 yet when I entered. And uh, basically went down Hill Street, which is, I don't know how long it is, 50 feet. I mean, it wasn't very long. It was like an elevator drop. And uh, so I probably got, I don't know, fourth, fifth, somewhere around there. I mean, it wasn't wasn't good. And... Uh, yeah, I just got hooked. I just thought it was the most challenging form of racing. I raced up to that point. I raced motorcycles, go-karts, water skis. I was driving my dad's drag boats. and But this thing was like one mistake and you're done. You don't have that vertical pedal to make up for, you know, mistakes. So I just got hooked on the whole gravity part of it and then went to school for aerodynamics and uh, learned a bunch of tricks to how to hide things that nobody knows about. And, um, by 1980, I won my first world championship and I won everyone after that till 97, I won 314 races in a row Whoa. in 30 countries. <laughs> Dude. So world got, domination. I got the hang of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what would, do, do you remember your first time ever going down a hill on a skateboard and going, this is, this is for me. This is where I want to be. Well, the funny part is, so this guy, Bob Hull, I think was his name. He lived on my street. I was maybe 15. And he said, oh, you should try this downhill skateboard stuff. So we went, this was in Baldwin Park up by Covina. And so we went to Kellogg Hill, which is by Cal Poly Pomona. Right. And right off the side of the freeway, there was a, a hill there. And uh, so I stood on the board. I got about, I don't even know, maybe 100 yards down the hill got this crazy speed wobble. And of course your brain thinks you can run at 45 miles an hour. So I stepped off two steps later, <laughs> splatted, broke my arm. And I thought this has to be this guy's board's fault. It can't be my fault. So then I just decided, okay, so I need to prove that theory. That was the first time. So then let, let's get into weird details then. Do you remember what kind of board it was? Yeah, it was a black Knight Oak board. It had clay wheels and I don't know what kind of trucks it had. But it was, it was not a board you want to go down a hill on. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Kellogg Hill's pretty steep, so I'm, super I'm just trying steep. to picture where you're at. Going, wow, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, if you're going towards LA, it's on the right. The hill's still there. You, you can see it on the oh, right. Yeah. It actually, yeah, it goes up steeper than the Kellogg Hill because it climbs from below it to above it, and it goes right. into those Covina Hills over there. I know exactly where it's at. That's just insane. But I went down Cajon Pass, got busted, was on the news. I went down the grapevine before. Uh, a good story, I was going. Uh, I was filming a GTE commercial out in Vegas in the Valley of Fire doing Street Luge. And uh, it actually played during the Super Bowl halftime. But when we were done filming, I wanted to go down that hill that goes into State Line. 
you know, that you come out right. of the, cur- oh, yeah. Yeah, the curvy canyon and you drop down. So we waited till midnight. My brother's in the rental truck. And I said, if I get pulled over by the cops, just pass me up because I don't want him to impound the truck and, and do anything to him. So I'm flying down that hill, I don't know, 70, 75 miles an hour in moonlight about one o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden on this little turnout on the right, I see this, uh, I could see that there's cars there because you see a little shine or something. I went by and it was two cops facing opposite directions talking to each other. Next thing I know, I, there's sirens and lights behind me. And I, I sat up and I looked back and I thought, well, they're already busting me. I might as well just go to the bottom and enjoy the hill. So I just kept going. So we get to the bottom and uh, <clears throat> I pull off the right. I kind of overshot the little flat tire lane, went into the sand, went flipping off of the board, <laughs> stood, stood up. And there's two cop cars that pull up. They get out full gun. I have a I have a total picture of this from the the dash cam of the cop car because they gave it to me later. Two cop cars pull up, one shotgun, one pistol. The other cop car comes pulling up. That's when they shot the picture. I thought they were going to shoot me. Somehow things calmed down. And long story short, we kind of were laughing about it later. And I just said, well, what was the deal with shooting me? And they said, well, you thought you were an alien. We we're sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, the, the, ra- <laughs> the radar... <laughs> Because I'm in a gloss black, <laughs> a gloss black helmet on a gloss black board, only like 18 inches off the ground. So he says, my radar just started, peg- it was just going up. And he goes, it got to about 82. And all of a sudden, here's this, and we're like, what the hell was that? And he goes, so we off. And he goes, all we saw was this little gloss black thing going down the road. So we couldn't figure it out. And he goes, we got there. And he goes, uh, I go, so you're. Your greeting was to shoot the alien. I mean, it's like that was your whole plan—just shoot the alien. <laughs> so then uh, we, you know, we, I'm still friends with them, and I gave them a bunch of magazines and for their kids and stuff like that. But it, it was pretty funny. And then they mailed me the photo, and I, I just love the photo. It's my favorite photo because it's—you can see the guy lean back, all cocked and loaded, ready to go. It was pretty crazy. Dude, can can we get a copy of that for the absolutely? Uh, the absolutely. Uh, that'd be awesome for the lean in for this one. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll send it to you. So badass. So, did you grow up without fear, or I were... haven't grown up yet? But I think I had fear. I just I tell people because you know all the time everybody goes straight to the you have a death wish you have no fear. I'm like I don't really have a death wish and I do have fear but I have no limits because I tell kids when I talk to them. You got to have fear. That's what keeps you inside the curbs. But, you know, I really have, I have no limits at all. My wife always says, you have no moderation. Nothing you do has any moderation at all. And I'm like, no, you're absolutely correct. Half throttle does not exist in your life. No. Like working with Brandon on the Studebaker, all I keep thinking about is we got to get that thing to go 400. (laughs) Dude. Well, the steps that it's made since you've been involved, uh, it's, it's, geez, crazy. And, and Brandon's an, an amazing driver. So, you know, I, my whole goal is to get the thing straight and planted and safe for him and just let his dad's horsepower and his driving get it done. Man, is there anything you touch that doesn't go fast? And that, I figured that can go really dirty, so I'm just going to yeah. let that slide. Yeah, and, and yeah. I would have to say no, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> No, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up uh, was kind of an older story back when we first talked. You know, we we kind of met through the whole Studebaker deal, and it's like, okay, I like this guy. Well, and uh, and your and your dad's and your dad's thing. What we'll, we'll have to talk about here in a little bit with uh, with him up at Bonneville. But uh, when you were younger, 
you would uh, <laughs> kind of went to hero status when you talked about you took a bunch of your friends into the garage and you fired up a fuel car by yourself with one of your buddies. And you were like, what, eight or nine years old? How old were you when you did that? I was about eight. And so my dad had a yellow Studebaker, chop top, hand me in the front seat. He sat in the back seat. He used to work with uh, Brizette and Enderly and all those guys. And uh, <clears throat> so my dad was building a, a house at the river in Parker. And they used to go up there a lot and they'd leave us with a babysitter. I guess they figured eight years old was responsible, even though I think I was a bomb expert at that time. And uh, so, <laughs> um, so I, uh, you know, all the little kids used to come over because we had the race car and it was on Jack's brand new. So I remember they all came over. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's just the man thing. Like when you got a lot of little men around you and they want you to do something, you can't say no. It's just, it, it just would be humiliating. So they all get in the garage and, they want me to start the car. So I'm thinking, well, I can't say no. And uh, so I locked the door between the garage and the house. And uh, so the babysitter couldn't come in. And then we <laughs> so then they closed the garage door. And so I told my friend Gerald, I go, okay, you got to get up on the hood and, and stick your hand right here where the opening for the blower belt is. I said, stick your hand right here and hold on here because it's going to shake around. And then take this bottle and squirt it in here when I open this. And he goes, okay. So there's like six kids standing there. Gerald's laying on the hood, holding on with the bottle in his other hand. I, <laughs> I put my dad's helmet on. It looks like 45 times too big. It's hanging down <laughs> my eyeballs. I put his little nitro masking on. I know what the pre-oil pump is. I know what the pre-fuel pump. I know all the stuff. So I said, okay, squirt it in there. And I turn it over and thing fires right up. And it's hopping up and down. And I mean, it's going crazy. I just remember bouncing around in that thing like crazy. Kids are like, it was like Spanky in the gang because their arms in the air, they're cheering that the garage is going with smoke. <laughs> so I decide to whap the throttle. I whap the throttle, it backfires out the injector and burns his whole face. All the hair, <laughs> his face, his eye, everything. <laughs> I, it shuts off. Somehow I didn't keep burning. I look over and literally he's just smoking, holding on to the face. So now the babysitter's pounding on the door to get into the garage. So I'm like, shit, I got to get everybody out of here. So I open the garage door. I shove everybody out. We get Gerald off the hood. He's all burnt. We shove him out. I I go grab two wires. I open the door to the garage. The babysitter comes in, and I act like I'm, I'm making sparks when they're not even hooked to anything. That's the only thing I could think of. She's like, what are you doing? I go, oh, I'm playing with these wires. It's making sparks. Don't do that. So then when my parents came home, they, they, she told them, oh, Roger was playing with these wires and making sparks. And they got all mad at me for that. But it wasn't until I was in Vanity Fair in 2001 that I, I told them this story and they published it. And my dad goes, Jesus Christ. He goes, I went my whole life wondering how that motor was started because it was brand new. And I got to Bonneville all of a sudden. Wait, did I start this motor? He couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so he didn't even know that story until... 40 years later. <laughs> Good thing it didn't come off the jack. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was a crazy-ass kid. Well, then, like okay, I, you got to tell the boat story then. So you told me the oh, boat yeah. story when you were, you were sort of not supposed to be racing, but, you know, yeah. that's... So my dad used to teach me how to drive. He had a Hondo uh, flat bottom drag boat and he had a lot of drag boats and circle boats. And so I used to go with them all the time and teach me how to drive it. So one day we had a, a house right on the, right on the river, beautiful house. So the, you know, the flat bottoms, they point the nose out and they're tied up to the shore. So it's sitting there. And I usually about five o'clock every night is when all the people would come out to go race everybody. 
So it was probably three, three thirty, and my dad. I'm sitting there on the on the lawn with him. My brother's sitting next to me. My brother's only. I'm thirteen, so he's six in his big cowboy hat. And my dad goes, "You want to take your brother in the boat?" And I'm like, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah, go ahead. Just be careful." And so it was the first time I ever got to take the boat out by myself. So I go down there, we get in the boat, fired up, go idling up river, and we're just cruising along. And all of a sudden, here comes this, this like, I don't know, it's like a blown, it looked like a blown alcohol flat bottom with a wing with two guys with vests on. And they come, whoop, whoop, whoop. They just come out there. And he stops next to me and he goes, he goes, I've seen that boat before. And he started small talk. I'm a little kid. And he <laughs> says, uh, he says, you want to race? And I'm like, I can't, I can't come up with a reason to say no, but I haven't come up with a reason to say yes at until my six-year-old brother goes, well, dad would be mad if you didn't race. And I'm like, shit, that's all I needed. That's it right there. <laughs> we don't want to make dad mad. So I told him, I go, yeah, let's go. And my dad said, always let him go first because then you, they can't say you jumped the start. So I don't know if you guys ever race boats, but you just kind of idle in gear. And then one guy takes off, the other guy takes off after him. So he takes off. I nail this thing. I, I knew what the cavitation plate was, but I didn't know you were supposed to like, it wasn't all up or all down. So I got my foot buried in the cavitation plate, the things in the air. I'm holding on for dear life. I can't even reach the throttle to the floor. So I have to pull myself forward to the steering wheel. We go by this dude at about probably 115 to 120 and uh, just blow him away. And so when we stopped, that was the first time I ever had adrenaline so bad. I was tears pouring out of my eyes and I couldn't stop my hands from shaking. And, uh, but I loved it. And so he came up and he says, uh, he's like, that is the craziest thing ever. So that whole thing winds up. We go back home. I'm completely, I know I'm going to just be beat to death when I get there. So I tell my brother, don't say anything about this thing. He's like, no, no, no. So we get there. I go, yeah, just go up and sit down. Don't say anything. We pull up, we turn the boat around. My brother takes off running to the backyard. I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was real smooth. So I sit down <laughs> next to my dad and I'm sitting there. He's got his arms folded, he's drinking his little iced tea. I'm just shitting my pants. And so what seemed like two days go by, but it's only like five minutes. And he goes, he gets up and he walks down to the boat. And I'm going, what the hell is he looking at? Like, what could he possibly know? So he looks around the boat. Then he comes back and he sits down next to me. About 30 seconds go by and he goes, he doesn't even look at me. He's just looking at the river. He goes, did you beat him? I go, what? He goes, honesty will help you a lot right now. And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, I beat him. And he goes, I go, how did you know I race? He goes, come here, let me show you. So we go down there and he goes, these headers have never been white in their life inside the header. <laughs> and he goes, and this tack is set at 8,400 RPMs. This motor's never been over eight grand. So I don't know what you did. <laughs> so he showed me how he zeroes the tack out. So then he makes me get in the boat and he says, let's go find, I want to go see who you race. So we go up there and the guys come out and he's like, Jeez, why don't you pick out somebody your own size? And the guy told my dad, yeah, this that your kid just blew past me like it was nothing. And then from that moment on, I was the only one that raced that boat. My dad never drove it anymore in a race. You have, you obviously, you have quite a history of speed then. That's pretty awesome, man. I mean, a so, lot. Yeah. Every form. So what was, was your family, obviously your family was always into it, you know? Yep. So, well, my grandfather built like, uh, frames for race cars and go-karts and stuff like that. When I was born, my stroller was a racing go-kart without the engine in it. And they used to pick it up and throw it in the trunk of the Plymouth. And they would push down on the handle when I was turning the wheel. So I wouldn't turn it. And then when I got three, they cut the handle off and put a motor in and I started racing. And my dad, my dad built dragsters, raced motorcycles and dragsters. 
And so literally I'd been racing since three years old. Holy cow. Yeah. It's my, it's my happy place. That helmet. And when all hell's breaking loose, that's the calmest place on earth for me. So you, you started off racing at three, uh, kind of, I mean, I don't, you know, just to go through it quickly, like what were your steps? What, what were your plans as far as racing goes? Did you have a plan or were you just planning on going into something else and racing was going to be kind of a sideline or a hobby for you? I don't think I had any plans as, you know, I don't think I thought you could actually race for a living, but I like the whole, I like the art of the competition. I like being able to kind of screw with somebody's mind or outthink them. I like to, uh, it's just the whole puzzle, you know, the whole chessboard of racing to me was always awesome. And then I always knew what I wasn't good at. Like I told Brad, I wasn't good at wiring. So I always found somebody who was good at wiring. My grandfather used to tell me a lot of things that, help you a lot like you said control all your variables and you can't lose uh know what you don't know and you'll be successful so i always knew what i didn't know and i just found an expert on that one like like working with lester and brandon i nobody's gonna out horsepower lester so why would i even comment on it on the motor at all you know so i just stick with what i know and then that's my competition now gravity racing that's the hardest racing there is because you literally cannot make a mistake so the concentration level in gravity racing is kind of crazy. Well, that that was that was kind of a big thing I had in my mind going into this. Um, was I mean, how do you focus that well? Because I mean, I, I try to be really focused when I'm working, but every now and then, you know, the meow mix jingle kind of kicks in, and yep, my brain's someplace else. So I, I would be the worst ever gravity racer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it somehow I put a helmet on and. I have this little thing where like people what they people that have known me my whole life they know when you tilt your my tilt my head down a little they're like yep he's there he's already in whatever that is and it's just I get into this place that I literally love that place it's the only time in my life I think of one thing instead of a hundred things my brother we we would race motorcycles together we race everything together he'd be throwing up at the start of like a a championship and I'm over there sleeping I literally could just fall asleep at the start I don't know why it just that's just how I work. And so he's driving himself crazy and I'm kind of just hanging out till they say go. How do you get into competitive gravity racing? What what were your first steps that way? Well, it was that it was that crash on the skateboard. And so that made me so that uh whether it's young ego, I don't know what it was, it's just there's no way in hell I crashed on this board because of me. So I was going to build a board and prove that. And then that was it. It was just such a giant uh, challenge to master that, that it took insane amounts of practice. Uh, it was people that I would work on bearings for eight hours where everybody else just throws the bearings in and goes. I cryogenically treat them. Then I would spin them for like four hours to make sure I centered the bearing. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff, but it didn't matter. I, I kept winning. Damn, so this is obviously, and this is way pre-internet days. So how do you, how do you research something like this? I mean, if you go from like, you're standing at the top of a hill, you go down this hill, speed wobbles, you fall off, you decide you want to build your own board. How do you go about researching this? Or did you have somebody in your neighborhood or in your family somehow that was maybe into this? Or did you just go out and just kind of gather all your information on your own and kind of crash and Yeah, just crash and learn. I had nobody... Um, I basically am 
credited for inventing street luge at Glendora Mountain Road because when we raced Signal Hill, it was only going straight and people were crashing. I said, well, this can't be a sport. We're going like a 16th of a mile and crashing. So I went up to Glendora Mountain Road and I said, I got to figure out how to make this thing get down a mountain. And right back then is when ELF came out with that Formula One car that had the four wheels in the front. Right. You remember that thing? Yeah. Yep. And it just yep. killed General. everybody. Yeah, that's right. They killed everybody. So I said, well, I think I'll try that. So I put two trucks, skateboard trucks on the front for four wheels in the front. Kept experimenting with how far to leg my, put my legs beyond it. So I had a, I could swivel the back just by putting my feet down until it was perfected. And then that was it. We we're going down mountain roads at 70 miles an hour without ever putting our foot down. But it came by looking at that Formula One car. Wait. So I just got to be around a lot of racing to sit there and look at it. Okay, now 1982, um, a road that I actually know when we were talking about that earlier, the old Waterman, the old Waterman Canyon Road deal, um, where you were, where you tattooed yourself with, yeah. the, with some skateboard wheels. So tell that, tell that, that little deal there. Well, back then the urethane was new. Um, urethane had just been invented probably in like 78. So it still was not perfected whatsoever. And that they started getting plastic hubs instead of aluminum hubs. But the bonding process between the wheel and the hub wasn't so slick. And I was sponsored by the main wheel company there was. Whether we had a race up at Old Waterman Canyon. And I'd never been beat in street luge at that time. So it was you do it five times down this hill. And I think the hill was like six miles long. And you average all your all your finishes. So I'm coming down on the fourth run and we come out of these hairpins that are crazy hairpins. Like you, on my F-350 Ford pickup, you'd have to back up to make the turn. I mean, there's just, they're nuts. So I put that thing in a big old slide at about 70 and all of a sudden it started riding like really rough and I couldn't figure it out. So I got in a tuck going down. Next thing I you know, there's stuff flinging everywhere. It's landing on my shield and it's burning the bottom of my leg. And I look down and all there is is a hub. So it completely melted all the urethane and it stuck it to the bottom of my thigh because we have a speed suit on, which is like spandex naked. And so it's burning through the spandex. It's <laughs> sticking to my leg. And I'm thinking, I can't lose. Whatever I do, I can't lose. So I'm riding down and then the wheel on the left front goes out because of the off balance. Right at the finish, my friend Perry passes me. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't lose the whole weekend, but I lost that one round because I was completely burnt with melted urethane <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it was crazy. Did you win the event, though? Yeah, I did. Okay, that's all that really matters. I got a good story for you. So I used to have white leathers. Look just like Evil Knievel. I'll send you that picture, too. So we used to practice at Glendora Mountain Road in the full moon because you could see cars coming up easier than in the daytime when you don't see a headlight. So that way we could dive the turns. Glendora Mountain Road's 10 miles long, 123 corners, complete mountain road. So we're coming down at night one time, full moon. And I come into this right-hand corner, and I'm out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, what is that? All of a sudden, this enormous coyote comes running after me. I'm <laughs> screaming. Like, I don't know if I was yelling for my mom. I don't know what words I was actually screaming, but I'm making up words and screaming. And that thing comes out and bites my arm. And it's oh. holding on to my arm with my leathers. Didn't get through the leathers. And somehow I shook it off. It's flipping. And then I go to paddle because that's, you know, I'm scared to death and I'm trying to get away, forgetting that I'm going 60 miles an hour. Like, <laughs> so I almost blow my hands off trying to paddle. So we named that hill, that one corner, Coyote Corner, forever. It's still named. 
by a coyote while yeah. you're skateboarding. Imagine the coyote probably thought you were the fastest white rabbit he'd ever seen. <laughs> I know. That's what I thought. There's a lot of meat there. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a... I just love racing. I like the racing people. I like the people that think they know what they're talking about and just sitting back and listening to them. I love the people that do know what they're talking about. I, I There isn't anything about racing I don't like. Yes, we've had some good conversations about racing. I, I definitely like your, your angle on how you attack it. Definitely. Uh, I love I, I tell everybody that every rule has an elastic waistband, and I like to stretch that waistband as far as I possibly can. <laughs> let's go let's go forward a little bit to what you're doing now. Some of your uh, some of your portable uh, portable skateboard deals. So how did how did that come around? You were doing all this downhill stuff. And uh, I don't know, were you were you much of a uh, like a pool rider or anything like that, or were you strictly just a downhill adrenaline guy? I could ride pools and banks and do a few tricks, but not at a professional level. The downhill was pretty much it. And then when the X Games came in, it was super political. So uh, due to a bunch of circumstances where I didn't want to do a pre-written script, I was banned from them. And so I was like, well... I can keep winning world championships, but I'm not in the X Games. So I knew at some point I got to just quit. And then my one of my best friends died racing skateboards in 96. And so after that, it just, I don't know, it kind of took the whole thing, the whole fun out of it. And the so then the next year, I just decided I was going to quit. But I decided I have to do something for a living. And out of college, I started designing trade show exhibits. And I did photography, just a lot of design stuff. So I decided to take skateboarding and trade show exhibit design, which you're a portable expert, and put them together. And so I invented what's essentially a a, skate, a uh, trade show exhibit version of a skate park that folds up and goes away, or you can ship it real small, and it's called Fresh Park. And I got all the utility patents, meaning no one in the world can build a fold-up ramp until 2026. And that was in 2000. In 2000 and by it took me four years to sell one to perfect it and get it to a production level. And since 2004, we've sold over 450,000 pieces. Whoa! So, so how many patents? How many patents do you have? Um, I just applied for two more last week, so like 12. Wow. Inventing wow. is well, racing is inventing if you think about it. Because oh, that's all every yeah, yeah, that's all it is. Every time you go to the race and you and you don't go as fast as you want or you want to go fast, you have to go back and invent another way to squeak a little more mile per hour or horsepower out of the deal. True. Yeah. Like every everybody that races, that's a real racer. They don't just buy a race car and they say, now I'm a race car driver. But everybody that actually races and builds race things and, you know, knows all about it, they're all inventors. So... With, with that said, obviously you have, you know, you've got to have a natural sense of wonderment and want to go out and do stuff. Uh, you had said earlier you went to school for aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, what, what made you decide to go that way? Was it your interest in downhill or were you just interested in totally because you were into racing or I, I don't know, I'm just trying to pick your brain a little bit and see what, just what seemed... led you in the direction of aerodynamics. It seemed like the tangible that you couldn't see or the one that no one could master. So I needed to just learn some of the basics. I was telling Brad a few of them, like, you know, uh, how it all forces are 90 degrees to the surface. Like there's a bunch of little rules 
And what happens is aerodynamics is like playing craps. You can play the whole damn table, but when you lose, you lose big. So it's it's better to just stick to a couple, like six and eights. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and so with aerodynamics, like I was telling Brad, the guy at the El Mirage this weekend, he came up and said, hey, Brandon said you could probably give me an answer for this. And he walked up and he showed me this Camaro with a, a rear spoiler on it. And he said, is this spoiler the right shape? And I said, I don't know. I have to see the hood. And he goes, what do you mean, see the hood? I go, without seeing the hood, I don't know if that spoiler even has any air. And so I've always thought aerodynamics is aerodynamics and air management is a whole different thing. So I've always, I wanted to learn how to manage air to make it do what I wanted to do. And so that's why I was so interested in it. Along with that schooling in aerodynamics and everything else you're working on, did you get into anything like composites or any kind of materials studies? And especially with regard to, you know, making boards for yourself or, um, you know, vehicles for like gravity racing, anything like that? Yeah. It's funny you even asked that because with carbon fiber and Kevlar and fiberglass and all that, I'm not patting myself on back, but I'm a complete expert. Brad, you saw that hood I made for them in two weeks. Right. And, uh, so I was doing my own version of autoclave when I was probably, oh, maybe 22. We just get some vacuum pumps and some vacuum, some bags and some blotters. And we, my friend Don Bowman and I, I mean, we invented all kinds of stuff to do wings and boards and helmets. I made my own helmets for probably 20 years and sold them. Wow. All those was things, these techniques that you kind of learned on your own. Yep. All my own. There were no internet. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And I wasn't rich. So it was all just figuring it out, like buying foam. And then we, we literally figured out, like when I built these gravity cars, they're called Gravity Formula One. We sat there and we said, how are we going to make this body? So we drew it up. And then we, we looked at some books in the library where they showed making an airplane wing. And they made what's called stations. But we just called them these places. you know. So we made these stations. We measured like where we thought it would be. And then we took duct tape. We, I mean, I mean, masking tape and kind of laid it down and saw if it looked right. And then we found this two part foam and poured it in there. Then we start shaping it. And then we just laid glass in about a thousand gallons of Bondo and kept sanding until it was perfect. And still it, it holds a world record today. Like, like there's, four, I made 60 of them and some guy in, I don't know where he's from. Um, he bought one and, uh, he went 101 miles an hour on it. And so it's, it was fast then it's still fast. And then I had a guy, Ed from eyeball engineering. I can't remember his last name. He's a super famous guy, but he approached me for one of these gravity cars and said, Hey, can we make that into an electric car? And this was probably in 19, uh, I would say nine, <coughs> 1991 maybe or two. And I said, yeah, but let's make a canopy for it. So I built a canopy for it, made it fully enclosed. And then we built it into an electric car and we had gates and somebody else, I have pictures of it, and I painted it up, airbrushed a, a big eagle with the American flag and called it the Silent Eagle because it was electric, and we raced the Electric Car World Championships in uh, in Phoenix, and we won by 19 laps. I mean, it was something stupid, <laughs> <laughs> and we set the average, the, the world record average for an hour, we raced at PIR, was like 52 miles an hour, and I upped it to 81 miles an hour. Because I made it so we could, because I made it so we could pit, have a pit stop. The rules said you could have a pit stop. Nobody else. They had gutted Honda Civics and gutted, you know, Toyotas and stuff. 
And I show up with this car that with the car batteries, it had five car batteries on each side of me. And I had a little funny car latch with a cable that I could come in the pits, flip it. They pull the body up. Two big muscle guys pull this rack of batteries out each side, throw a new one in, and I do a burnout and take off. So I would, <laughs> so I would go like 20 laps, come back in, get a fresh rack of batteries. And everybody uh, else is out there trying to conserve, and I'm just flat out the whole time. And on this right, it didn't have a steering wheel. It had a, it had a, uh, a lever in the right hand that forward was what was it forward was right and back was left and i had like a slot car plunger was like my throttle and the left hand had a brake and so i literally would it was so low that it would go past the start finish and make the little beep from the transponder and no one could see the car go by because the wall was like two feet high and the car was 18 inches high it, <laughs> it was just flying and we just and then they then they made a new rule that there was the ultralight class had a you couldn't be too light so then they brought it up to like it has to be over a thousand pounds. So then I think it's in I think Ed put it in the Smithsonian Institute. I think that's where it's at now. Okay. See, cool. I I love this. If you're showing up and you're making them change the rules, you it's the greatest did it thing, right? That's right. <laughs> I love they this. Have, they have a rule in in Laguna Beach called the Hickey Law that <laughs> <laughs> that says you cannot go down a ten percent grade more than ten miles an hour on any skateboard. Ever. So that one big hill when you get on off Broadway and you go when you go east, that big old gnarly thing, you've been down there on a skateboard? Well, there's Nye's place and there's Park's place. And yes, I've been down both of them. And so uh, I used when, to out I used to outrun cops, and that's why they made the Hickey Law. Oh, it's it's the one when you when you first come down you're coming down the highway and you come in and turns into Broadway and it splits. It does the Y. You can go yeah. left and you go up the hill over there about a quarter yeah. mile down the street. Yeah, that's Nye's place. NYE, no. yes. It's like it's a crazy. forty it's like a forty five oh, degree angle. It's oh, a yeah. crazy <laughs> And the last hairpin put us in that neighbor's ice plant, I don't know how many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, I hit a streets I hit a sign that was for a bicycle lane going down that hill and it stayed bent for probably four years, but it <laughs> it it knocked me out. I stuck they had to use defibrillators. It spun my head on my helmet so hard that it ripped my right ear off. And, uh, yeah, it was bad. It was really, I don't remember it happening, but <clears throat> my friend said I just lost it and ran head on with an awry helmet right in the face into the steel pole. But somehow I lived through it. Wow. Did you win? <laughs> it was just practicing. I think it was showing off for girls. That's the only time I forgot her, practicing and showing off for girls. You can't win races when you're crashing. No, you can't. No. We used to okay. jump through fire. We just did all this stupidest crap. <laughs> hey, quick question about a gravity car. What's the theory, the the thinking theory behind a gravity car? Heavy or light? It depends on if you have a any turns or not. If you have turns, heavy, no. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you have, uh, and it also depends on the wheel. Like wheels can be become almost a flywheel. So the I run five inch wheels that are my own wheels. And, uh, like it, when I went to Quebec, everybody's like, oh, those wheels are too tall. You can't get to the corner. Well, they look tall and they look skinny, but they're the same width. It's just, they're taller. So they look skinnier. You know what I mean? Like if you took a dragster tire and you made it, you know, 60 inches tall, it would look pretty skinny. So they weren't looking at the actual contact patch. Cause that's all I cared about. I wanted the flywheel effect so that as I, was going into the wind or coming over that little rise that drops off. I didn't lose any speed, mm -hmm. you know, so weight is good. Um, 
if you have to push through some air or you have to, you know, motor on down a real steep hill, but the second there's any corner or pressure on the bearings, stuff like that, then it's not good. So I, I don't know. I think, you know, I'm bigger than most people that race downhill and, uh, I don't think that helped me. I just think that I could get in a, a well enough aerodynamic tuck that the wind thought I was 150 pounds when I was actually 220. Yeah. I'm assuming there's got to be a brake of some sort on the car, right? Do you ever use it at any point in the run or only at the end when you're slowing down? No, you use it in the run. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, there, there's on the gravity Formula one cars. There's, I had drum brakes because they release. I didn't like the disc brakes cause disc brakes float and they kind of drag a little. Okay. But, um, I only ran front brakes, but yeah, I would cook, they'd catch on fire. I'd cook them so hard, you know, coming okay. into a turn, but yeah, they, they push really bad. So, and if you, if you made, if you tightened up the front end, it would probably spin out. You know, I always thought that pushing was a little safer in gravity racing than, than actually spinning out because mm-hmm. I can always slow it, hit the brake and then get the front to stick and then turn. So in order to get it to turn, do you differential brake or both brakes are being activated at the same time? No, it has a steering. It, okay. it has a, you know, a pitman arm with uh, tie rods. And the, my, the, the gravity cars that designed had four-wheel steering. So it had an arm going from the handle back and forward to pitman arms so you could adjust the ratio of rear steering to front steering. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, they pulled like three Gs. They're crazy cars. Crap. And yeah. this is stuff that you were you were inventing? This is part of yeah. a lot of your I stuff? Invented- Yep. And I was in a uh, road and track racing a twin Callaway Corvette down Glendora mountain road. I was five pages in road and track. And I, and I, when I showed up, they said, they brought it on a trailer road and track, set the whole thing up. I have pictures of it in the article. So they said, uh, well, how are we going to start this thing? And I said, well, you got to at least stay next to me like 50, you know, cause if you just nail it, I'm, it's like watching paint dry to see a gravity car start. And so we took off till 50 and then he took off and he disappeared. And about four, maybe four miles later, I could hear his motor. So I was like, okay, I'm catching him. So I just kept focusing on being smooth. Another mile later, I saw the yellow back of the car and I'm like, oh shit, I'm, I'm going to get this guy. So I knew the road so well that I, I set him up in a place where I could sneak up behind him and hopefully he didn't see me because he was focusing on these S's and I did. And then all of a sudden I knew that he couldn't get on the inside of this one turn. He'd have to exit. And I stayed down low and went past him. And then I heard him overcooking the car behind me because he's probably embarrassed. And, <laughs> and so by the time I got to the bottom, I was already half a mile ahead of him. Just smoke. Wow. No motor against a twin Callaway Corvette. Uh, <laughs> it was good. Awesome. <laughs> Damn. Um, fast. Last day, I had no idea that it was like that. That, that is crazy. We had a guy at Bonneville and he had like a hundred CC something. I don't know what it was. And so we were over there and we're working on the Studebaker and we're in impound and he was next to us. And I go, Oh, how fast did you go? And he goes, so I went 98. My brother goes, Oh, that's cute. My brother beat you on a skateboard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh man, that's cute. (laughs) Shut up. You're not helping. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't too good. To get that kind of speed, what kind of bearings do you run on a gravity car? I mean, because, you know, bearings are going to give you two functions. It's going to create a little bit of drag, but it's also going to allow the wheel to roll. Uh, Where's your compromise? I mean, how do you, what kind of bearing do you choose? Well, I think most of your drag is on side load, Mm -hmm. you know, because so a ball bearing obviously is the best for side load unless you're going to use some kind of Timken, 
you know, taper bearing. Um, but what I did is I didn't want people to know I had any advantage. So I literally ran the same bearing they did, but I had them cryogenically treated. And I was telling Brad, I would, I literally would qualify four seconds faster than everybody. And they dissect my car and think I'm cheating somehow. So they thought I was reaching down cause I'm tall and off the start when we released the brakes, they thought I was rolling the front wheels, which I don't know how you do that, but that's just what they thought. <laughs> so they decided they were going to put two officials to watch me leave the start and look down inside the car. So when they say go, I release a brake and I put both hands up and flip them both off and then I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just try harder and qualify by faster. I'm like, okay, now what theory do you have? You know. So, so it's the cryogenically treated bearings were so insanely faster and more reliable than than it, it was a it was like a a top fuel secret for gravity racing. Ceramic bearings are great, but they don't take a load. So if you have a hard jarring hit, they're just toast. And they also can't take any dirt. Like mm. one speck of dirt and that it's horrible. So I know the effect of what a what a cryogenic treatment can do. It just kind of realigns the molecule molecules in the metal. Is that kind of a basic theory behind what cryogenics does? Exactly. It takes an asphalt surface and turns it into a smooth granite surface. Yeah, okay. All right. So you don't, I could see you don't the have, effect in a bearing. Wow. Oh, yeah. You have resonant frequencies. You can hear a bearing that's been heat treated. I could hear in stand up when it goes from like 55 to 60 and 60 to 65, and it would change tone. And it's because it's creating all these resonant frequencies and vibrations in there. Huh. You cryogenically treat it, and it all went away. Wow. You know, the hardness of a bearing, you know, the, the balls or whatever your races are made out of. Do you have to cryogenically freeze them at a lower temperature than, say, like a cylinder head or a jug of a motorcycle? I did I mean, them you, all. You got to really, really send them low or what? No, I did it all the same. They go one degree per, per minute down to 300 below and then one degree per minute back again. And then they're I I tried telling uh, Lester that we need to cryogenically treat everything, everything yeah. we touch that's alloyed. Let's cryogenically treat it. You yeah. can take a you can take a block of billet aluminum. 6061 and take two of them take one don't do it take one do it and then machine it and the one that you cryogenically treated will look like it was already polished when you're done wow even your cutting tools will last 20 times longer yeah well that makes and it, sense and it's cheap you know what i mean it's not expensive at all yeah i can imagine a, a cryogenically freezing a blower would make a huge difference absolutely oh man especially how much they flex and move and sure yeah yeah, yeah, everything, every gear, the impellers, the pulleys. <clears throat> well, I told yeah. Brad on his streamliner, we need to cryogenically treat everything, mm -hmm. even the driver. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wake we'll wake him up at the start. We'll just thaw right. him out. <laughs> Pour some hot water on him. We gotta. That's go. right. <laughs> we gotta race. He's See, Brad looks like he was cryogenically frozen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pull his cheese guard off. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> so to me, every form of racing, it, it, there's some kind of a formula there that, that can be worked out. I, I, my hickey speed thing is more of a hobby, but my tagline on my hickey speed is making fast things faster. I love being involved with somebody and seeing if I can just add to make it a little faster. I don't want to take their job. I just want to see is there something, some trick I know that can make their stuff faster. 
Yeah, and I, and I love hearing you talk about the aerodynamics side of it because I'm in aerospace and I've, I've worked for Northrop for 29 years on some projects. And so aerodynamics is kind of a thing that I enjoy as well. I, I'm not into it as deep as you are, but I do enjoy it. And I know the benefit of uh, getting air to work correctly. And uh, I know that you did a lot of work with the Leggett's car. Could you explain a little bit about what you did that helped those guys gain a bunch of mile per hour? Well, when I first went out there, you know, I got a hold – I got connected with Brandon because my dad had just passed away. And then somehow, I don't know how, his Studebaker, like five months after my dad passed away, his Studebaker popped up on my Facebook. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, 53 Studebaker with the Hemi in the front seat sitting in the back. Seat. It was just the craziest thing. So I wrote him and I told him, what a crazy story. My dad just passed away. And I told him this whole story. So we just became friends on Facebook. And then the following May, he said, hey, we're going to be at El Mirage. Why don't you come out? I said, OK. So I went out there. And I don't like going in somebody's pit and being that guy. You should do this. You should do that. So I literally just came out and wiped the car off and hung out with him. I didn't do anything. And so the next meet, I went out there. And I was standing there, and I was looking at the back of his car. And he has that spoiler going out there like everybody does. But, you know, the rear of that Studebaker drops down a lot. So it created this big, giant V to where the spoiler was coming up and the body was going down. And he goes, what are you looking at? And I said, well, I said, it just bothers me. I go, you know, I go, can I make a plate to go across that? And I said, because if you ever get backwards, that thing's going to take off. And he goes, oh, no, we don't spin out. And I said, oh, OK. <laughs> I go, well, can I just make it? And he goes, yeah, I don't care. I mean, Brandon's probably one of the coolest guys I've ever met. And so I literally drove home, came to my shop. I measured it. I made an ABS piece with self-tappers, went back out there, got there by 530 in the morning. and was waiting for them to wake up sitting in a chair. And I said, here, put this on there. He goes, go ahead, put it on there. I'm like, no, no, no. It's your race car. You put it on there. So he puts it on there. I'm not kidding you. The next run he spun out. And so it's never been said, but I, I secretly felt like I kept him on the ground. You know what I mean? Because going backwards at 245 miles oh, an hour yeah. with that big opening, it's just going to take <sighs> off. And yeah, you so just create a wing. Yeah, yeah an opposite wing, right. the opposite yeah. effect wing. Now you've got lift. It's like a giant mailbox, you know? Exactly. So anyway, so I slowly would go, hey, you know, I could probably, I could do this, I could do that, until I, I built, you know, till I made, so that I had a place, you know, without being a know-it-all. And so then one day, we're at El Mirage again, and they're thinking about going to Bonneville, and I said, can we do something about the hood? And I said, you know, over 200 miles an hour, every square inch is 11.2 pounds of direct force. And I said, let's measure all this stuff. So we measured the pulley and the little box that was below the injector hat. It was like a spacer that, because that, Lester makes all his own stuff. And so it was a little spacer, just stuff that was sticking up. And it came up with that I could give him 500 free horsepower if I, wow. if I multiply all this up. Because it takes two horsepower to go through one pound of drag. That's the formula. So I'm like, okay, I calculated this all out. I came out to like 597 horsepower that I could save him. And I said, so can I make you a hood? Well, uh, John Salkins, which I love, it's their partner. He, he was like, I told him this story just the other day. I said, yeah, you were looking at me like, oh, great. Another one of those guys. Can I make you this? Can I make, hey, I could do this. I could do that. And so Brandon's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So I show up two weeks later at their shop with a hood, not painted yet, but just for fitting. And Salkins was sitting there and he's like, wow, that thing looks like a streamliner on the front end. And so we fit the whole thing. Long story short, it's all painted. Went out and just, you know, blew a 238 record completely off the page. I mean, we went 326, 
you know. Wow. And, oh, now but, say that again. So, so what, what number was it, and what number did you get? Three. It was three. It was two thirty-eight, and we went three twenty-six. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, we went three thirty-five. Holy so crap. what I was explaining to Brandon is the hood is so then you got these guys coming up and they're like, oh, well, what about this? You know, you got a gap where the hood comes down to where the grill would be. Why don't you put some rubber in there? And I go, yeah, I don't need it. Well, what about these pins? You know, because they're saying I said, listen, I'm not worried about drag. This hood it has nothing to do with drag. It has to get the air from the front to the rear wing. I said, this car has a problem hooking up. It's got 6,000 horsepower. It bald tires, you know? So I said, my goal is to get through the air, sneak through enough that we can get some air on the back. So, and that's what it started doing. So then we added more spill plates, which nobody was doing. You've seen it, Brad. It's got yes. five spill plates across it. And then uh, I started building vortex generators for it. So when we went back to uh, Bonneville. We decided, well, you, you can race a different class there. You just can't do it at El Mirage, so we decided to go comp coupe, and I so I went crazy with vortex generators and spill plates and all stuff, and then we went 335. It actually, we were three and three quarter miles. It was at 341 and blew the blower bell off, and still coasted through with a 335 average. So, <laughs> I firmly think, you know, there is a possibility to 400 accidentally, you know, um, but it's got 365 in it all day long. But my goal has always been safe is fast. You know what I mean? So if you keep the thing straight and flat and it and it's going straight and flat and it stays safe, it's probably going to be the fastest run if you're not driving it like a sprint car. And so the last run we made at Bonneville, I have all 360 cameras and onboard cameras. I study a lot of stuff with cameras. And um, so Brandon, when I were watching him drive and we thought he was pulling on the brake too hard, so he stopped doing that. Then the last run at Bonneville, when he went 341, he was driving with one hand, one foot off the off the blue line, and never wavered an inch all the way down. Straight, it made me so happy because like, well, it's working. You know, this stuff is working. Mm-hmm. So that to me is what aerodynamics is. You know, that's incredible. That's Unless fun. you don't have horsepower, then you got to make it slippery and maybe not so safe. You know, mm-hmm. but when you got more horsepower than you'll ever need, you can do a lot of stuff. So at El Mirage, we go out there and we decide we're going to burn the building down. And I put a double element wing into the back of that thing because in the rule book, it says that you can put horizontal plates in between the spill plates as long as they don't stick above. So I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll just make horizontal plates a, the second element for the wing and that we can double the vertical surface. So now we have like eight vertical, you know, side. So I'm like, man, we can make this thing not only go straight, but it'll suck so much dirt off the ground. It's going to look like a top fuel hydro going down there and it'll get tons of traction. So that we went into impound and that that caused all kinds of hell. (laughs) People went crazy. So they made us take it out. What was their argument? I mean, was it blatantly against the rules or just nobody's done it? So you can't do it. That's exactly right. And and Dan Warner. uh at first, he's like, yeah, it is. But if you let air come underneath it, then it's a wing. And I mean, I see what they're saying, but I don't know where there's air that comes out of the car, too. So the rear spoiler's a wing. You know what I mean? I don't know where, unless you say the air can't touch both sides of it, what does that mean? Yeah. I just, my thing is, is when did, at some point, an air dam was okay. At some point, roof strakes were okay. At some point, a rear spoiler was okay. So 
where did that growth go? We can't add anything else. Like, where are we at now? Right. Yeah. The rule book has peaked. Uh, I don't yeah, think so. That's it. We, we found the end of the internet. We got to call <laughs> Al Gore. Like what, what, where are we at now? Yeah. <laughs> the printer can only go to a hundred pages. See, there's no that's more it. for pages. Yeah. That's, that's all it. it is. Yeah. Don't yeah. even think of 101. Don't come in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad because like we can do some crazy stuff and crazy stuff is what keeps the sport going. Absolutely. I'm not saying, you know, other people can't copy me. I mean, go ahead, do it. So with uh, computer technology, the way that it is, you know, at work, we do Katia and we do a lot of other things and do some solid work stuff. Do you uh, uh, experiment a lot with some of the computer programs that are out there? Fully. We have uh, all the everything SolidWorks has to offer we have here. And then I have uh, 3D printers and I have already downloaded the 3D uh, program for the Studebaker. So we literally print little miniature Studebakers. And come up with all this stuff before I even oh, wow. go out there. Yeah. Yeah. SolidWorks is, is an amazing tool. It, it really is. is. Incredible is. tool. Yeah. I told Brad I designed a streamliner that breaks apart in three pieces. So you could actually take a, a 30-foot streamliner out there and a 24-foot double stacker. And that way you could work around it without having to walk around the whole tail and the whole nose. Because all the only thing in the nose is fuel tank. The only thing in the tail is the parachute and the wing and the rear sure. end. Yeah. Sure. Huh. It's like, I don't know why they don't come apart. Yeah, everybody makes a body, and it's tip to tip. Yeah. Well, and so is the frame. Yeah. It's kind of hard to unload a 30-foot frame. That's why they all need those things that stick on the ground. Yeah, that's a good idea. The front, you put the driver in it like a pod, like a drag boat. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And all you have is the brake line, which could be a quick connect, and you have cables. That's it. You know, electrical, and you have an electrical plug that the harness hooks into. Then the, you'd break it apart behind the rear wheel. So that's just the tail and the chute and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Seems like it makes sense to me. Yeah. Now, maybe on some you'd have to figure out a way to make the steering disconnect, but that's probably a relatively simple, you know, setup. But the steering goes to the front wheel, and that's where you're, that's the part that breaks apart. Okay. So everything forward of the front wheels is one piece. Then you're... everything everything forward of the driver's back. So the back of the roll cage, everything forward is one piece. Uh, okay. And so with the back of the roll cage back is your drivetrain. Then the back of the rear axle back is your third. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you're working on the whole drivetrain, you know, minus the, the cage and the front wheel. And you just make a little dolly to push it around. But man, you know how much easier that'd be in impound and in the pits and everything else? Just doing maintenance on the car. Oh, um, you could put it in your garage and fire it up. Yeah, even at the even at the races, I mean, you look at some of those streamliners; they look like an absolute. It looked like it like working on an airplane. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah, your you know outside shape dictates everything, and you just got to compromise everything in, inside of that shape. Yep. You know, for space and and packaging. Yeah, that that's tough. That's hard. Yeah, that's not a race car. That's a science project. Yeah, that that's a yeah. tough. I've I've looked at some like Petit's car and. And some of the others, and it just looks like I would not want to work on this car between rounds. It looks like a nightmare. I'm like, can you imagine chasing down a problem? Oh, right. Uh, yeah. My it's... brain is spinning right now. Just so you, just so you know. I've got a cutting wheel just waiting for your streamliner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking the brain's going to We haven't okay. built the body yet. You haven't, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. haven't got that far yet. But as far as the chassis design, it could be done. You know, absolutely. Sure. The way I have it set up, it could be done. No problem. Your car's only 24 inches wide. 
Can you imagine the size of trailer you need if we break it into three? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 40-foot trailer goes right out the window. There's no need for that. Nope. 24-foot trailer, you're good to go. Yeah. You need to do this, Brad. Well, something to think about, huh? Go to the races oh. in one of those little glider trailers. Oh, that's all my shit in here. <laughs> it's on surf racks of a Prius. <laughs> here comes Brad with a streamliner on his Prius. Cryogenically <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> treated. Put it yeah, together yes, on the start. Put it together at the starting line. Push it, take it apart, put it back on the rack, drink it, take it back to the pits. Velcro. <laughs> Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> You could go through tech and say, which section do you guys want to tech today? <laughs> it you don't, need, makes... you don't need that half. You don't need that third. You just need this one. This is the one that counts. It definitely makes for plug and play switch outs. You know what I mean? Like if the front end's not working, it's easy to fix it because you're not cutting the whole frame apart. It's another good, great idea. Yeah. You could have different configurations. You could change well, different aerodynamic course, features on course, dirt That's right. car, salt car. Now, yeah. see, on, oh, yeah. on mine, the fuel tank is in the back. The water tank for cooling it is in front of my feet. That's so right. you could make the whole, I mean, the whole thing would be self-contained, right? There, The, the whole the whole yeah. running piece is all in one chunk of frame rail. They've mastered uh, quick disconnects. I mean, those yeah. they have them on everything. Every airplane has those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you nothing. don't build this and get it sponsored by Lego... You've missed the boat. There you go. I yep. failed. I failed as a human. Swiss well, Army streamliner. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> kind of a bottle opener at one end. And... Yeah, scissors pop oh, out the side. Oh, oh, Here, yeah, hold on. The... Let me cut this brand, this armband off. <laughs> the what a great wrap that would be on the body. Toothpick that slides oh, down the side of the It body. would be. Oh my God, the body's wrapped with all those things. The toothpick, everything. <laughs> that would be so bad. Brad, this, the whole marketing plan just came together. One shot. Yep. yep. Oh man. That would and be you hand out Swiss Army knives at the race. Brilliant. What is that? What is that little pair of pliers that folds all up? What are those things called? Leatherman? Leatherman. Oh, it is a Leatherman. Go after Leatherman. <laughs> yeah, that's a stock glass though. You need to yeah, I was going to say, they're kind of clunky. What are you, bracket racer? <laughs> have your whole pit crew with leather hoods on. <laughs> with yeah. the rest, the red Swiss thing on their back. Right, the red Swiss ball. I oh, forget it. Or, yeah, I know where you're going with that. I was going to say, this, yeah, this I know, I had stalled. You took the leather part the other way. That's <laughs> what it was. You're back to the, the cheese guard. Direction. You're back to the cheese guard. <laughs> Salt gimp. Salt gimp. Salt gimp. <laughs> Make sure you lotion him. I give him lotion. <laughs> the salt gimp. Comes in a giant wooden crate with about 30 locks on it. You got a, a gag ball airbrushed on the front of the full face helmet. <laughs> have a whole different style whip whips. antenna on your truck. Yeah. Oh, the pit crew completely has whips hanging off. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the car into the pit and chain him to the uh, to the truck. Yep. Patent leather boots on the pit crew with a Simpson patch. Oh, nice. <laughs> it just keep, it just writes itself. Yeah. Oh. It sounds like a sport of its own. That's right. Yeah. Salto masochist. <laughs> oh my god. That's awesome.
man. <sighs> I don't even know where you go after that one. I don't know, know man. I win. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, shit. I got no way to follow that up. No, yeah. I got nothing. So, Roger, have you seen Brad's uh, uh, streamliner drawing and shape? Have you seen any of that yet? Yeah, I, well, I saw the stuff I could find online, yeah. But what's your thoughts initially just looking at the body? It looks long to me for a small CC class, but, I mean, depending on how light it is, but it is I, long. Yeah, yeah. with all your arrow uh, abilities, I'd love to see uh, you, you know, what, what you're thinking is on that. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's definitely a pencil. I mean, it yeah. I can't it can't be thinner because you can see his shoulders are right at the edge. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to lay one, make one that you lay head first. Didn't Jack Costello yeah, Jack have one of those? Yellow, the yellow, one, yellow the thing. Log. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's so short. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I look at some of these streamliners out there, and, and I'm no aerodynamic expert, but I look at some of them and I go, that car's not going to handle well. That car's going to be better. There's a there's a new car out there that that kind of showed up. Uh, you know, the I've been seeing some or whatever it is. Yeah, the green car. Uh, okay. What's your thoughts on that? Because that's got a very different uh, uh, aerodynamic thinking uh, on on his car. Greatest car I've greatest car design I've ever, in my opinion, that I've ever seen since the day I was born. Really? I I have looked. It showed up at, uh, was it Speed Week or World Finals? It showed up at one of them to, just for them to look it over in tech. And uh, I was like, holy cow. These people literally thought of everything. Like, they're using the exhaust. They're using, I mean, that thing is just crazy. And then you have all the old guys going, oh, I wouldn't sit in the front. You know, that's dangerous to sit in the front. I'm like, are you kidding me? All the heavy stuff's behind you. I mean, what are you going to hit? First of all, you know that that's the best place to be. You know, you're you're not on fire up there. Nothing's happening to you up there. And uh, so anyway, I I personally, it it jumped to the top of the list. It it outdesigned anything I could think of. I mean, that thing is just unbelievable. <clears throat> it's a dart. I mean, that thing is just. I thought it looked like a, a dragonfly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that yeah. thing is. It's just a dart. I it's so it. crazy. You know, I was looking at it, and I just thought maybe in the back it would create a little bit of lift right where the wheel fairing is in the rear. But I guess there's a, there's a shape on the side of the body that's pulling the air up instead of, you know, not allowing it to capture itself underneath the back side of that body. And they have the heat of the sense. exhaust coming out both sides down there. So they're thinning it all out. Oh, so the exhaust is pushing the air away from that zone? Yep. If you look at a picture from... Uh, a couple days ago at El Mirage, there's a side shot. I think mm -hmm. it's uh, Leggett has it. Uh, Jim Leggett has it, I think. And uh, it shows dust. And that dust is crazy. It's literally on just this complete horizontal line right down mm -hmm. the side, right in the middle of the car, right around the tail. And I'm like, oh, man. I don't know how you could spin it out. It'd be impossible. Really? Well, that's, yeah, it's so unconventional. It's so hard to get my head wrapped around it. Because, you know, it's hard to imagine because you're so used. I'm so used to seeing these, you know, almost generic shapes out there. You know, oh, yeah. streamliner, long, thin. You know, some yeah. guys put gigantic verticals on them. Some guys shorten them up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they're all 
they're all just a square box with radius edges and a nose. Yeah. 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 And, and then we put a windshield where the driver's head is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well, my question has been, you know, why, why that shape? I mean, everything just kind of stagnated. It hit, a, it just hit a brick wall. That was, you know, the end of it. It was, this is the pinnacle of streamliner design and it stayed that way for years and years and years, and it takes one groundbreaking car to show up. Yep. And the thing is totally alien looking. You know, I wonder if this is going to be the, the start of hopefully, you know, some kind of a renaissance where people start to explore a little bit more. And I mean, granted, that, that, that's a dangerous thing to kind of play with design that way, but man, there's got to be something better out there. That thing, that I think that's the most amazing part to me is these guys. Like it, it takes some balls to just go, you know what? Throw everything away. We're going to design something so crazy that it's going to take people forever to actually accept the thing. You know, people were, yeah. people at Bonneville were, I love anything new. I mean, I'm, I'm all about like come up with stuff that no one ever thought of. That's what makes me tick. And so when I saw it, I was like, holy cow, who are these people? Like, this is crazy. Even the front wheel drive, the way it's worked. The way they hook the rear wheels on and they just come right off like a cartridge. They, they And they're the nicest people ever. We went over to their pit and they could not be nicer. I think I'd run some more horsepower in it, but I mean, it's not my car. You know, it might be slippery enough that that LSX, you know, it'll work. But, you know, they haven't gone fast yet because SCTA hasn't let them. Mm. So what are their backgrounds? Are they all aero guys or are they circle track guys? No kidding. Yeah, that's what they told wow, me. Wow, that's that's completely out of the left field. These Wait, guys yeah, changed know, that heavy stagger and offset. Now they're building an aero car. Yeah, that's, kinda, that's crazy. Let's I change that for ever... the episode. Answer that with no. They are grays from, and then come up with like some kind of a star system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Alpha Centauri. <laughs> I mean, it's a Cygnus X1 proximity. <laughs> It's funny when you have all these experts and then some circle track guy shows up and just goes, yeah, we think we're going to do it this way. Yeah. That's badass. They don't care if you look through the car, shoot pictures, nothing. Like, they're they're awesome. I'll admit, I was one of the guys, I looked at it and I go, man, that's really cool looking, but I don't know. I started convincing myself that, you know, the air is going to do this and the air is going to do that. And obviously, I was way wrong. And well, the, I, one I thing, admit, the one thing that you that – that anybody that knows air knows is air is big. You know what I mean? It's really, really big. And so a lot of people will look at like, Oh, that bolt should be trimmed down or that. Yeah, that's true. But air is really big. Like there's stuff happening a long way around the car. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so I, what I saw on that thing was the way they fared that rear wheel in and made it like a skirt. So it, it actually created its own little down, its own splitter for the rear mm -hmm. wheels. Yeah. Wow, that is just thinking right there. And the way they they made the front shape, and the way they exited the the exhaust, the way they fit the wheels in, the weight distribution of the motor, the front the front differential, and the driver all right where the traction needs to be. I mean, it. I don't even know these guys, and I'm number one on their fan club. Wow. Just me. I could be completely wrong, but somebody that thinks that far out of the box, they're going to figure it out. So do you think SCTA is starting to warm up a little bit to the car? Do you think that eventually you'll start seeing that car competing with some of the bigger boys? No. Really? That's a well, shame. I don't know how many times you got to make them go 250. You know, they're yeah. turnkey 250 now. Endure. Yeah. 
I mean, you got to give the guys credit for bringing such a beautiful piece out to the friggin' dirt all the time and just keep yeah, running. Yeah, that sucks for them. I mean, I'd love to see those guys, you know, experience the fruits of their labor. You yeah. don't see the other pretty streamliners in the dirt. No. Except for, except for Ed's polished aluminum car. He's always out there. He got yeah. top time this weekend. Yeah. He, 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 drive, he drives the hell out of that thing. He loves really? it. You can tell he loves that car. He just drives it. Is it a car that moves around quite a bit? No, it's four-wheel drive. Ed's car, you mean the aluminum one? Yeah. It's four-wheel yeah. drive. It's four-wheel okay. drive. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that. Blown it's, gas, four-wheel drive. It's pretty bitching. <laughs> it is bitching. That trailer is crazy that he just built. Yeah. That's another thing. That guy was thinking out of the box on the trailer. I'm like, okay, I just like anybody that just goes, you know what? Let's just do it this way. Yeah. Now, he was right under 300 at El Mirage, right? Did he get like high 290s? 292 or four okay. and he missed the top time of the year by two miles an hour which flashpoint set yeah now we want we wanted that time that's what we were going after In we, we loved it. we love to go after streamliners <laughs> yeah we don't go yeah. after studebakers we go after streamliners <laughs> i mean it, he got the top time two years ago at 275 in that studebaker and we're faster now so now, Les and Brandon's car is a pretty heavy car, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's really heavy. Yeah. Now, do you think that there would be any reason to ever lighten up that car if you get the arrow working where you want it, or just leave that theory alone? Well, I was talking to uh, Salkins and Brandon both about that. I would love to take some of the weight out and then let me put it back with air so that mm -hmm. we get it, we get up to speed a little quicker. Yeah. But it's But it's Lester's car. You know, what yeah, I mean, right, and so right, right. if that's how Lester wants to do it, that's how Lester does it. And so I, yeah. I really am careful about not, you know, being over pushy about any ideas. And obviously something's working, you yeah. know. Yeah. I always wondered if there's a fine line that exists between weight, horsepower and arrow where, you know, you could get the lightest car you could with the best arrow is the best uh, combination. Or, you know, a little bit of weight to keep the uh, the car, you know, down to the, the surface. I think so. Yeah. I, I think I think that's the formula that you want to perfect, you know. Right. Because it's all thrust versus drag. Every mm -hmm. every every form of speed is thrust versus drag. That's all that's the only two factions you got. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree with that because you have tire wear, you have parts wear. I mean there's there's a lot that weight is not a good thing, but then yeah flying and spinning out is not a good thing either yeah yeah and i yeah I, I sometimes wonder whether guys build their cars super super heavy just for that um uh, contingency in case it does you know want to spin out it's a little less uh, apt to do it um, i think so i think that's yeah. exactly what i don't you know guys like lester are smart they go i can take a giant steel shoe box and throw so much horsepower at it it's still going to go 300 miles an hour yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. so he lester keeps it you know super simple where um the stuff that i'm into you know it probably doesn't interest him or it's just not his world but i mean i'm we're in his garage the other day and he's telling me how they trimmed out a wing that was on a Lakester and we're like a few miles an hour off the world record. Then they trim the wing out and then they pass the world record. So he does know that that there is a yeah. formula there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And square inches are square inches, you know, so drag is drag. 
Yeah, I loved hearing that when you talked a little about that earlier. How about uh, square inches, you know, and you put it into a horse ratio horse with horsepower. Yeah, that's amazing. That is, uh, I think that's a uh, a formula that not many guys know, and nope. probably or maybe so intimidated by it they don't want to push to that direction. But that'd be the first place I would go. It's such a simple formula. It takes yeah. two horsepower to overcome one pound of direct force. Okay, so if it's 11 pounds per square inch over 200, just start adding them up. And that's how much free horsepower you get. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that, that's amazing. That you can incredible. put a two-by-four out the window of your car and put a scale behind it and be able to tell how much drag it, how much drag weighs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can do really – you don't need a wind tunnel. You can, you can use the tape measure and the window of your car and figure out how much you can save. Wow. <laughs> See, I, 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 like, I like the whole formula of just thinking this way. Everything's oh, yeah. got a formula to it. If you don't yeah. keep it simple, you just, be, you just get into a, a problem of analysis paralysis where you just right. – everybody's got a Band-Aid to solve a Band-Aid, which solves a Band-Aid, and pretty soon yep. you're so far backwards, you, you don't even know what's going on. That's true. Yeah, I, I think every giant problem, you break them down into little tiny simple problems, and then you solve that big problem easily. Hmm. Yeah. Like, like, the, like the streamliner that comes apart in three pieces, you know? <laughs> I've never heard of that, theory, that idea, but I think it's brilliant. I've never heard of it either. Just yeah. Lester wanted to build a streamliner one day, so I started drawing up on SolidWorks, and that was what I came up with. And I said, I'm going to make it easy for you to work on in your garage. But then when we saw like where streamliners were going, I we decided, you know what? We already have a hot rod here. He does. I said, why don't we just make this thing do something that's so crazy and so out there that we'll yawn at the streamliners. You know, if we can get a Studebaker to do 380 to 400, that's a big deal. Not chopped stock steel body Studebaker. Oh, his car is not chopped. No, it's just stock steel body. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and you know we're in we're in comp coupe now which means i could enclose the front wheels we're not even doing that because lester wants to keep it looking stock i'm like okay well i'll just find ways around it i'll just figure yeah. out you know you tell me the parameter and i'll figure out how to the formula to make it work wow and there's something you know there is a beauty to just going yep stock steel body just went 335 a body designed it well, a body that came out in '53. It's no telling what year that shape was designed. Probably '50, 50, '51, maybe. Probably earlier yeah, exactly. than that, or yeah. maybe earlier than that. The way auto, you know, manufacturers were back in yeah. the day. That's that's crazy. It's um, awesome. It's and to me, awesome. that's way more awesome than building just another streamliner that's going to try to go for 500, you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cost a billion dollars and have a crew of 40, you know, and two diesel trucks to get there. Let's yeah. just show up with the the beast, this black little hot rod that they call security when you come through tech and, <laughs> you know, blow people away. Call security. <laughs> <laughs> that car is pretty evil. Like it's loud, it's obnoxious. Yeah, oh, man. Just... Flame throwing. Oh, yeah, things pissed off. Yeah, it is one. It is one mean ride. I love to me. If it's if it's dangerous, somewhat illegal and really stupid, that's the best race car there is. Hell yes. Holy shit. I, I would be the ultimate race car then. That's awesome. There you go. <laughs> Ugly, smelly, smelly, smelly loud. loud. <laughs> somewhat illegal. Somewhat illegal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, Roger, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. It was yeah. fun. I loved it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this was fun, man. Jeez. It's, such a, it's such a, a niche world. You know what I mean? So the outside world doesn't understand. To me, this is what real men live for. You know, it's just oh, yeah. solving these crazy things that we don't look at it as dangerous. You know, I mean, yeah, we lose people all the time, but we never look at it that way. Nope. You know, it's just this, it's this chess match of nitro and exploding things well and it's guys like you that just refuse to back away from challenges you know some people are very intimidated by it some people could have the ability if they applied themselves but there's an intimidation factor that keeps them from ever stepping into it and you're one of those guys it's like foot to the floor let's go yeah and uh, that's impressive man i tell you you, you impress me hey, i think everybody has it but you know there's a form, there's a, there's a small amount of humiliation sometimes and sure. men don't like to be humiliated. Uh, yeah. people don't like to feel stupid. Um, there are fear, you know, some people have fear, yeah. but so that's yeah. why I try Like when the guy asked me about the, the, the spoiler, I, I try to never make someone feel stupid. I try to never know more than them. I just try to right. leave them with a simple problem, you know, a simple solution of like, look at the hood and make the hood help the wing or, you know, just little things. Yeah. You don't you don't need to overthink any of this. You don't have to have, you know, the president of NASA out here. Just <laughs> stick to the formula, make it safe to drive, have some fun and set some records. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun sport. I wish I wish the rules committee would let us stretch our legs a little, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's well, still one of the last sports that allow that allows some free thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, a lot of sanctioning bodies now, they would prefer everything to be spec classes. And that, that kind of sucks. Well, we don't look at the innovation. It. Yeah. Look at the, oh, yeah. There you go. Like they did that AMA road racing. <laughs> they destroyed <laughs> AMA road racing or destroyed. NASCAR or any of those things. I mean, yeah. if somebody comes up with a clever idea and he gets fined. Now, that's bullshit. So, my theory to put the, the, the butts back in the seats of the NASCAR races, because you can see no it's one's awful. there, it's, it's yeah. awful. But my theory is to make the series, instead of having a, a chase, do a knockout like they do in the velodrome. So if you have 40 cars and you have 200 laps, every five laps, the last place guy goes to the pits. He goes to the garage. And it just keeps going. You know how hard you have to stay to be like in the last two cars? Yeah. So your pit strategy and everything would be, it would be, you wouldn't want to walk away, that's for sure. <laughs> no. T- no. Yeah. No. A knockout, and you still end up with the same points. You know, what I mean, it's not any different, but man, it would just be, it would be 200 laps of intense. And what it would also be cool because you wouldn't have everybody coming into pits at the same time. Every, you know, right. well, it's monkey see, monkey do. One guy comes in, everybody comes in. Yep. You'd have some pretty creative pit strategies. Guys taking two, guys taking four, guys, you know, just, just to try to stay out of that last, you know, yeah, that, you know, short pitting. And yeah, I think that'd be kind of cool. It, it would put some real thinking into it. I mean, not that there's not thinking going on now. It's just, it's, it's like everybody's running the same recipe book. And can you imagine the last four, like fighting to stay not fourth. And then the last, yeah. and then the last, it, it would be, I think it'd be so exciting. It'd be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They got to do something, but the knockout thing, run that on every oval of every kind of sport. Oh, geez. Can you imagine knockout in sprint cars? Oh man. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> that would be some driving right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sprint cars are always good. 
Yeah. Can't That's always pretty exciting. It is. You're watching 900 horsepower in what a 1400 pound car. Is that how much a, a 410 car weighs? Yeah. I don't, even, I don't think they weigh that much. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're 1,100 pounds. Yeah, Jeez. that's what I think. I think they're 11, 1,200. Carry close, the left close. front wheel all the way down the straightaway. Oh, they'll do wheelies. Yeah. They, they carry both front wheels. Yeah, badass. And, and they race like 120 races a year. I mean, the, the, I don't know what the number is, but it's a ton of It's more than weeks in a year. I know that. Yeah, that's just crazy. And they get paid what? A Coke? I mean, they don't get paid. Yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> Well, they get they get front row seats to the fireworks. A churro, spring cars, you get a coke. Yeah, our south of the border equality fans will give you a churro. Yeah, the thing about a sprint car race, I mean, you you bang wheels with somebody, you you could knock the front end off your car. So you're working on your car all week long to get it ready for the next Saturday to go ride. You know, you'll do a couple cartwheels in it and go up the fence. Yeah, crazy. you end up in the parking lot. You start rubbing tires with those things. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, well, so that, that's another whole story. You know, we could talk about is safety. Like how many people don't dress for the crash or build for the crash? I mean, I look in some of those uh, Bonneville cars, and it's like, do they have any idea where their legs, what their legs are going to be doing in a flip? Because there is more things to break your legs and cut your legs off in those cars than, and, and nobody looks at it. They're like, yeah. oh, you got belts, you know, but you got a gauntlet of stuff underneath there with your legs. So when you're flipping, it's just literally beating them to death. Like with Brad's streamliner, what I would do is I would do like a, some kind of fireproof expandable net system that goes over your legs, go in there, but it holds everything. You're kind of in a cocoon. I was kind of already looking at something like that just because yeah. I, when I sat, you know, building the car around me in there, I would flop my legs around going, this is not going to work. I'm going to break bones just hitting cage pieces. So, yeah, I was already kind of working on a, on a concept for that. Well, we already I talked about getting one of those Costco giant uh, teddy bears and stuffing it down there by your leg. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the Ted one. The one that, the one that cusses. Yeah. It's a Ted device. Ow, That'd be awesome. Ow, yeah. Yelling at me. Yeah. Hey, stupid. Go straight. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I invented, I don't know what year it was, but I invented a new form of seatbelt seat fire suit system, and I called it the G-suit. And the, the reason I couldn't come out with it is because a liability, I couldn't afford it. But what it was is I took a Simpson fire suit, and my theory was jumping off the house into five straps or jumping off the house into a blanket. And so I took a tailgate net, like the... the in off-road, they used to have those tailgate nets, right, so like, they didn't have a tailgate. So nets. I took a tailgate net, yeah, and I had that sewn to my fire suit, and I had exits for the clips that came out my thighs, uh, the sides of my hips, underneath my arm, and then my shoulders. And I designed the seat so that you clipped into the seat, and underneath the seat, it just had a hydraulic release that released it all. And so you literally walked around with your belts on. It had another layer over the belt material, the the straps, but it divided the the G forces of a 220 pound person into only 35 pounds per cross of where the the actual straps crossed Whoa. over. You, you know how, how you would never get hurt. Hmm. You know you understand what I'm saying, right? So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You have a net sewn around you and a fire suit over it, and your actual clip-ins are with you. So when you unclip, you just step out. You don't have to crawl out of the belts. So I was going to have this cardboard box that I sent out. 
you sit in the box, you pour this foam in, you send me back the box so that there's not a single space that can cause any damage. And then we build that suit, that seat to fit your suit. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I built two of them and it was amazing. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I just couldn't afford the liability insurance, you know? I can imagine what that would be. Yeah. But I'd love for like Stan 21 or... You know, somebody to just do it. They can take my idea. I don't even care. It would save a lot of lives. Yeah, Bill Simpson was always one of those guys that was really, really, you know, looking in that direction. He would have been a good guy to push that towards. Yep. And, it, you know, somebody that already makes safety equipment, it's nothing for them to make it. They mm -hmm. already have the liability. They already right. have all the stuff. Just do it. Yeah. And it'd just be called a G-suit because it, it, you know, you G-forces are double your weight, so if it's you know, if I'm four G's, now I have 880 pounds divided by five straps. You know, your collarbones, your sternum, all that stuff. Now divide it by 40 cross points. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. Hell yeah. We Well, I tell you what, I'd like to have you back just to go over safety stuff. Let's do that. Yeah, that's... Let's that's, that a point. That's Seriously, awesome. I think that'd be a, that's a topic we haven't even come near touching yet, and I think that'd be awesome. I'm yeah, a lot of people that. Yeah, people don't think about it. They think that steel roll cage, when they got a helmet, oh, it's fine. Really? Go ahead and get a guy to get a, you know, two-inch pipe and hit you in the head. Yeah, ask Eric Medlin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. and his bang was not hard. No. Nope. Nope. That crash, there's no way in hell I would have thought somebody could have died in that crash. Nope. That's a perfect example right there. That, that is the best analogy case you could have to you better have some and not just foam that insulates a pipe from freezing but the right kind of foam yeah you know energy absorbed absorbing foam that's made to, to do that mm -hmm. yeah i'm always looking at brandon's car because i i feel like i'm i want to be the guy that just makes sure he's okay in there yeah yeah especially at that speed yeah he has one section by where his parachutes and his buttons are. And I told him that I want to make like either a piece of smoke flex in so he can still see through, but something that if something went wrong, his hand couldn't get inside there, you know? Right. Keep well, everything. Definitely. Yeah. We definitely got to have you come back on and do a whole safety thing. That would be, that would be a good, mm -hmm. a good deal. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, thank you. Thank you very uh, much, sir, for, for doing this. Not a problem. Thank you. I, I'm speechless. speechless. Thank you. stuff. Yeah, this is cool. This is cool stuff. So you guys just let me know when, and and we'll figure it out. Maybe we can get uh, somebody from uh, Impact or somebody to get on, talk with us. That would be pretty Hell good. Yes. Let's, oh, yeah. Let's get this like planned maybe out. We, maybe we could start creating this G thing all together. You know what I mean? Exactly. Hell. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Let's do we, I mean, We've We've got enough resources between us as a group. Let's make this happen. Yeah. I'm sure they would, they could share a lot. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with educating whoever's listening on things they can go look for. And then also trying to come up with stuff on our own. Definitely. <laughs> that'll, that'll be the stipulation. If you're coming on and you're from say impact, you got to invent the GIMP helmet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you guys let me know. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much, Roger. Thanks Roger. Uh, it was great talking to you, sir. You too. Great night, man. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I, I got to say, fun. that that was an awesome episode, not only from a 
<laughs> just an entertainment value standpoint, but like <laughs> knowledge wise. Yeah. Let's have him back and really get into this as a regular discussion. Yeah. Okay. I, I would like you guys to uh, let us know. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of value. Uh, we do a lot as far as um, career advice, getting in the industry, you know, ways to make it, you know, if you're running a shop. But I don't think we've even gotten to the point yet of broaching uh, something as important as safety. And I think that packs a ton of value. I'm in. Well, let's yeah. make this sucker happen. Yeah, I, I think it's great to talk with somebody that just looks at everything from the minute details. And some of the things that, you know, we kind of gloss over a little bit and don't think much about. He's the guy that's looking at every bit of those pieces. Like, and he even mentioned it in, in, at some point in the podcast. He goes, he likes taking big problems and breaking them down into smaller problems, which is a smart way to do it. You know, smaller problems are easier to address and fix. And then collectively, you've created or, or you've fixed your larger problem. Oh, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it's yeah. cool to talk to somebody that looks on it at that level. And and he said he's a great combination of engineering knowledge and creativity. And practical knowledge. You know, he's he's tried things, he's done things, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And man, and, and there's a guy who's obviously put himself on the edge. I mean, if you're going down <laughs> a dark road at 70, 80 miles an hour on a skateboard, yeah. Yeah. You're gonna value safety. <laughs> And you engineering. Have, sure. Probably yeah, there's a, than there's the a video. There's a video of him. He's wearing a GoPro when he went the hundred mile an hour. Dude. And we, we he's driving. We're gonna put that on on the deal. But he's going down this this stupid hill and it, and it's going toward the ocean. So the ocean, there's I mean he's going right down. It gets to the bottom. He has to put his feet down because the road hangs at 90 at the bottom. Oh. So from 100 mile an hour, he has to put his feet down, and you watch the smoke come off of his shoes when he hits the brake when he goes Flintstone on the brakes. It's Who's a cr- you just sponsor? go. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing because we he we hits he hits his shoes. Shoe. You see the smoke come off his shoes, and he slows down, makes the corner, and then takes off again. And you go, that's the craziest thing ever. Now you got me thinking though, and there probably exists a whole aspect of that sport where it is just based on shoe design. But try to imagine if you could get with a company like Brembo and come up with a (laughs) (laughs) ceramic racing shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Six piston racing shoes. That's right. (laughs) Hey, six toe racing shoes. Even better. Six toe racing (laughs) shoes. I fall down a lot slipping walking around the kitchen, but they work awesome when I'm not losing. Oh. Once these shoes heat up, man. <laughs> Here it is. Never lose your way again. Uh, Perfect. Dude. GPS. Start the morning. I throw my shoes in the microwave and I'm ready to rock, man. <laughs> Don't lose your balance. <laughs> Don't lose control. Perfect. Oh, nice. Uh, it, yeah, if nobody's familiar with that, that all of that uh, intellectual property right there is copyright. The Round oh, Six Podcast, two thousand eighteen. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> awesome episode tonight, guys. You uh, can't thank Roger Hickey enough for for joining us and entertaining us. And holy moly, yeah, it had it all, huh? <laughs> Damn. I mean, yeah. When you're when you're, we've never had a guest on before that uh, has been confused by law enforcement with an alien. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, yep. Got bit by a coyote at what? How many mile an hour? <laughs> mile an hour. <laughs> 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 
Good chase to bit by a coyote. You got it. That's pretty dang funny. You got it. Burned his friend's face uh, by you know an injector fire. I so badly want to see that made into a motion picture because that scene alone would be worth just going to see the movie over and over again. Like isn't that like Sandlot? You know, it'd be like you know Car Lot. (laughs) (laughs) I love the locking the doors of the babysitter couldn't go in. Because I grab some battery cables and she comes over to tell me to grab some battery cables and I'm slapping them together. It's like, what is that noise? I'm making sparks. Yeah, that's that noise. Yeah. <laughs> some kick in his face. Garage <laughs> smells like burnt hair. <laughs> Great story. Oh, shit. Get with him though. Make sure we get that uh, that photo of him with uh, his uh, his law enforcement friends oh, and absolutely. his uh, yeah. close encounter. That'd be a great picture. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh, well, we will definitely have him back on, as we said before. Uh, For sure. Probably start a long term uh, discussion here on the podcast regarding safety and engineering and things like that. I'm sure that's something that our listeners would find very interesting. Yeah, but that said, um, here at the tail end of episode 36, uh, man, I am a uh, obviously a far deficient Brian in terms of aerodynamics. Yeah, I'm a much I'm a much more slippery Brad. Yeah, I am a uh, aerodynamically uh, challenged Alex. I was hoping one of you guys would have gone with. I'm going to go slip on my Brembo ceramic sole tap dancing shoes and yeah, that'd be great to have one of you guys dance. I thought we were out. gonna thought we weren't gonna release that great idea to the public just yet. Oh shit. I know. That's well, all right. My drilled invented uh brake shoes. <laughs> Six toe caliper vans. <laughs> Man. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, well, if you made it this far, uh, congratulations. You get a gold star. And uh... All right. Um, we got a little challenge for some of our listeners. If you can tell us which famous hill Roger was going down when he was clocked by the highway patrol and mistaken for an alien, shoot us your address. Free stickers are coming. Yeah, we'll do this. If you want to, uh, you can leave us a message over on uh, – Make this a reply on, well, do you want to go to the website or Facebook, wherever? How about the first three people to do that, either side? Yeah. Uh, we'll get together with you and we'll we'll send you some stickers. Assortment of uh, stickers. There you yeah. go. Awesome. Yeah, some interactiveness. Ooh, it's <clears throat> happening. Can you feel it? That's oh, man. Ooh. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to rub those somewhere. What? Nothing. <laughs> And then it got creepy. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Oh, I'm so tired. That's where I'm at. And, I guess, uh, <laughs> and uh, go figure. I'm going to go edit this thing. So, hey, uh, that all said, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, uh, we already said what we are. So, yeah, we're out of here. Yeah. Another fun episode. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for playing along. And thanks, Brad.
<laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> Inflection is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com. <laughs>